Hello and welcome to Victoria's Living Christian Center's Victoria's Living Podcast. Victoria's Living Christian Center is a church that strives to stand for goodness and is committed to encourage and show a better way. A church whose vision is to see God's people living a victorious life. This is accomplished through community outreach, education, healthy living, and support groups while still providing spiritual growth. Our goal is to meet the needs of man, spiritually as well as naturally. So welcome and enjoy. Good evening and welcome to Victoria's Living Christian Center Gospel Bible Chat Room. I am Pastor Ruth Gardner and we are starting our continuation of our study in the book of Romans. We are now going into lesson nine, which is also chapter eight of Romans. And we're going to have prayer and then we're going to dive right in. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come together once again to learn of you father we are excited for what you have in store for us tonight on tonight we're excited about the word we are excited about the revelation that will come father we ask that you would keep us keep our focus keep our hearts on the on tonight keep us focused on you let us intake everything that you would have for us on tonight I pray for those who may be joining or those who are listening and listening to the replay father I pray that you would bless them Bless them for their sacrifice. Bless them for joining us and partaking in the word on tonight. Father, we ask that you would uh, cover our speaker. Pray that you would give her clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 So we're going to go ahead and go right into, we're going to start at Romans chapter 8. And we're going to start at verse number 1, of course. And we're going to read the first four uh, verses, and then we're going to talk a little bit about it. I know that last week, before we start, um, the recap that we had was that we, we, we got an understanding about exactly what Paul, the writer, was saying in Romans chapter 7, where it talks about the struggle that um, he was describing. And we uh, understand that the struggle that he was referring to was the struggle that the Romans at that time period were having outside of Christ at the struggle that they were having under the law and that through that struggle because of our trust and faith and believe in Jesus Christ we no longer have that struggle and we also pointed out that a lot of people use that now like a lot of christians even a lot of preachers preach about that chapter about how we struggle within ourselves with this struggle but what paul was describing explaining that this struggle doesn't happen for the saint that is on the lord's side but it happens to those it was happening to those who were under the law so, and it picks up right in verse number one as, as a reinforcement as of this point, because in verse number one, it says, now, therefore, there is no condemnation. So it's telling us that, you know, because we have been freed 
through through Christ, we're no longer having that struggle. We should no longer be having that fight. And 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 you'll see in chapter eight where he talks about why. And um, so let us go right into it. Amen. <laughs> Just got a notification. <laughs> Amen. So here we go. Um, make sure my microphone is turned all the way up. And we are going to be reading uh, the New International Version. Amen. Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So right there, he's saying that God, so for what the law was powerless to do because it weakened, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So right there, he's saying that, that Jesus came, Jesus came right there because of the powerless, um, for the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by, because of the weakness of our flesh, because of the weakness of what is in us, because we were held under the law, Jesus Christ came and he did away with that. So we can live free from the condemnation that comes from the law at work in our lives. As we feel the weight of sin, shame, and a testimony of the law in our, in our lives, we have two options. We can double down into our self-justification or we can surrender. That surrender looks a lot like the death that Paul has been talking about. Being in Christ Jesus, as Paul explains, is the thing that sets us free and actually gives us life. We're going to join ourselves to Christ. It must mean it means we must renounce the things of this world. So even though we have every right, we have, we have the, uh, we have the ability to, but because of our, our surrendering, our uh, being dead to sin, we renounce, we have to renounce the things of this world. Um, the one thing I also, let me, let me jump up. Let me, let me just finish reading this part because I'm about to jump into another uh, topic. To give up things that our body has grown accustomed to is painful. Consider again a drug addict. The pain and torment of giving up drugs can feel like death to them. The body actually thinks it needs the drugs it has been continually fed. In the same way, our sinful desires become a drug to our flesh. Our bodies believe that they need those sinful indulgences and to give them up feels like death. Paul's metaphor grows stronger the older we get and the deeper into sin we dive. 
Children that come to faith at a young age do not have to experience that feeling of death. But many unbelievers have looked at the prospects of giving up their sin to become Christians with great turmoil. The truth is that we cannot leave sin behind and then follow Jesus, but the other way around. Jesus gives us the power to leave our sin behind. The death we fear under the power of the Holy Spirit quickly becomes nothing to us. Paul's death metaphor only feels like death on the front end. After we have accepted Jesus and the Holy Spirit indwells us, we actually experience true freedom for the first time. This is when we realize the powerlessness of the law. It gives us no ability to live free from sin. It only made us aware it existed. Life in the spirit, as Paul described it, is the truest freedom we have as humans. So what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that when we believe Christ, when we believe in Jesus, and when we take on Christ, we there's a sense of freedom because we no longer are bound to or held captive by the law. Before Christ came, it was sort of, the people felt it was sort of a bondage and they felt that they were bound to this and that, you know, anything outside of the law, they were condemned to hell. So they were like, kind of felt that they were bound to this law. They were bound to the, the laws that, that was presented to them. So anything outside of it, they did anything outside of it, it just brought on more uh, conviction. It brought on more condemnation. It brought on more uh, depression. It brought on more being like in this cage because you were afraid to go to the left or afraid to go to the right. Because if you go to the left or went to the right, you, you know, if you, you, you were, you were so scared that you were going to commit sin because you were under the law, but Christ has given us the freedom that, you know what? Okay. I've come, I've fulfilled, you're free. Now don't allow these things to be a habit or don't allow these things to be your daily lifestyle, but follow after me and be done away with it so that, you know, you can walk in a freedom in Christ Jesus and you can walk with like out, without carrying that heavy load it was like carrying a burden around like being having a ball and chain tied to you when you were bound to the to the law but now the crisis come and set us free we don't have that ball and chain around our necks anymore we're free but at the same time it's not like we are free to sin we're free to live and we're free to live as christ would have us to live any questions any comments Nope, no question for comments. Nope. Okay, so that's what the first uh, couple of verses are basically saying that, you know, there's no condemnation now because, you know, we, we were so afraid of committing sin um, under the law, but now Christ has came and set us free. We're free to live. We're free to be who we are. We're free to be, you know, we're free to be. But once again, um, there is still a uh, um, uh, 
there is still the part of sin that we have to renounce. Okay, Christ came and made us free from, from the laws of sin, the punishment, the death of sin. But there are still some things that we have to renounce as the writer place puts in the book we there are some things that we still have to renounce in this world and that's why he uses the death metaphor again um to describe or the drug addict metaphor to describe how it feels for someone who's known this all their life have been on this drug all their life and now they're they're pretty much going cold turkey and how painful and how your body really goes through these real intense withdrawals from no longer sinning and to some people like he also made a, a a point as when young people or children come to christ you know it's not that hard because they have not really been exposed or done anything that's really all that sinful as opposed to an adult non-believer because you know you've been living for all these years and these are things you've been doing you may have been drinking you may have been smoking you know doing drugs or you may have been you know just doing all kinds of sins, sins promiscuity you may be living that alternate lifestyle and you know and you thought it was okay and then you come to christ and realize no so now you have to renounce these things and just trust god so it's kind of hard in the beginning to make that shift but once you make that shift and you really sincerely give your life over to the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, which helps you um, to combat the sin, then you feel that sense of release, that sense of freedom. And then you're grateful. You become happy, joyful and like, wow, I got all this weight off my shoulder. I'm so glad, you know, I'm free now. So I have to worry about what this world, the sins of this world and all this craziness that the stuff that's going on um even though we have to be watchful okay all right so let's go on and <laughs> let's go on and uh read some more let's go further down And we're going to start and read verses 5 through 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Okay. Children often wonder how they can please their parents. It may not be the primary preoccupation of a child's mind, but it can be a daunting one, especially if there is not an active or thriving relationship there. How many people in our world suffer from wondering if they please their father or worse yet, have to live with the knowledge that their father is actually displeased with them? One of the pains of human existence is living in the tension of not knowing if there is a God out there and whether or not we have the ability to please him. One of the primary reasons people throw themselves into lives of sin 
is to drown out the pain from unanswered questions like those. Many people never experience the liberty to fully think through questions like that because of the earthly trouble they encounter, further compounding the condemnation they feel. In these ways, the mind governed by the flesh truly is death. Not every believer experienced perfect peace, but compared to those who are dying in the flesh, it is a night and day difference. This is because, as Paul says, if you live in the flesh, it is impossible to please God. The deep, nagging, annoying sense that so many people live with is a deep human instinct God gave us to draw us to himself. The Holy Spirit testifies to us that we lack something important. In the same way, Paul will soon explain that for those who follow God, the spirit also himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Okay, so this says a lot. If you are not living in the spirit, if you are not walking in the spirit, the Bible says walk in the spirit that you may not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if you're not in the spirit, and you're living in the flesh, it is impossible to please God. You cannot remain in sin and expect to please God. You can't. You just can't. There is... You, you 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 just can't. <laughs> I'm stuttering. You, 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 you just can't. You cannot. Because verse five says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. So it's a whole new mindset. Your thought process is different from someone who is living in the flesh as opposed to someone who's living and walking in the spirit. And the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. What does it mean to be governed? Let's look at that term. Somebody look at that word and tell me what governed means. When something is governed by, what does that mean to you? Even if you don't look it up, somebody, somebody unmute and tell me what they feel that means to be governed. Hmm, when I think of govern, I think of, uh, I kind of look at a definition a definition real briefly, but it kind of was in line with what I was thinking. I was thinking about in terms of like taking some type of authority, um, you're governing, you, you have leadership over um, over a, a, a territory or something like that. Yeah. Okay. That's good. One way you're looking at it. Pastor John. 
the definition is very vague actually um but yeah i would pretty much say when something something is governed it is controlled mm-hmm. you know like government the government pretty much has a level of control it is governed anything that is you know your car actually has a governor in it there's something called a governor which actually stops it from being able to go past a certain speed even though your car says it may go X amount of miles per hour, your car won't actually do it because it has what's called a governor in it. Mm. So a governor sets rules and basically holds you to them. Very good. That's good. So a governed, so a mind that is governed by the flesh, that means it can't move or think outside of what the flesh desires. It is controlled, boxed in, locked in, and um, bound to or set in a certain realm that is that is ruled and overlooked by the flesh. So, and, and, and also in the, in the reverse and, you know, in opposite, a mind that is given by the spirit has a area or realm that is governed by the spirit. And, and if you look, it says governed by the spirit is a capital S, not a small S. And that makes a difference because we're talking about the spirit. It also says in verse number seven that a mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. They're at enmity. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Because once again, God's laws are different from sinful laws of the laws of the flesh. And we know what, and, and even with the term God's laws, it's not really like anything that's written down. It's just god's way it's god's desire it's god's lifestyle it's god's way of doing things paul's referring it to as god's laws because we're talking in terms of laws so he wants to stay on that same keel or that same conversation when he says when he refers to god's laws but it's like more like the way of god the walk of god the the the, the, the um the the life in christ is pretty much God's laws. And, and once again, verse number eight, those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So you just cannot please God if you're in the flesh. There's no way. You just, you just, they're just not. You can't, you can't please them. So we have a lot of people who are saying they're on the Lord's side, but they're, they're being ruled, governed by their flesh. They're allowing their flesh to lead them and not allowing the spirit of God to lead them, not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead them. Purpose of the Holy Spirit is to help us to refrain from committing sin. So we're not being led or governed by the Holy Spirit we're, we're, we're not, of, we really are not of God. We're not, we don't belong to him. Does anyone agree or disagree? No, you're right. You're right. You, you gotta, you gotta, 
what's, what's, I'm going, I'm going off the, uh, is the, I'm going to another scripture. You know, the Bible says, you know, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I know that's something that, you know, is out of context mm-hmm. when you think about it. That first part, God is a spirit. And in order for us to please him, in order for us to resemble him, we have to always have a, our, our spiritual mind on the forefront and um, uh, have our spiritual mind on the forefront and, and push aside all the carnality. So, yeah, I agree. Yes. So, and, and, and also it says that we have to, in order to live this, we have to renounce sin in our lives. And I know that that's something that, um, you know, that is when they say the sin is prayer, they talk about renouncing things. Also when, um, you know, um, when they have like sessions with, with it pertains to deliverance, that's one of the things that they do. They have them pray and they begin to renounce certain things in their lives that they know that is of a demonic nature. So you have to openly confess with your mouth, openly confess and renounce those things that of that are not of God in order to be free. And you have to stay free. You know, you can't allow your flesh to rule. And there's times in our lives, even though we're saved and we're, or we are, we are on the Lord's side and we have the Holy Spirit, our flesh tries to rise up and tries to bring back things or bring back memories or try to re, you know, re, uh, introduce certain things that we know that we have renounced and some things that we know that we have, um, victory over we have overcome an enemy will try to come back because you know he comes to tempt us and then he goes away for quote unquote a season so you know those things do he still tries he still tries to get us to fall back he still tries to recaptivate us and and bind us back up to those things that's why we have to pray every day our repentance is something that has to be done every day because the little things, the little, little things that we do um, that are sinful, we need to pray every day and ask for God's forgiveness, you know, confess our sins and be delivered because it's just that tricky. He's just that cutting The enemy is just that sneaky to come up and, and ambush you or hijack you, so to speak. And, you know, you really you're thinking you've been delivered from that. And you're like, where did that come from? Because you did not set a guard. You did not set a watch. That's why we got to be careful to what we see, what we hear, what we listen to, all those different things. You know, even our music, you know, we were talking, Elder Joy and I was talking about, um, may he rest in heaven, Elmas, Elder Elmas. And that book, um, the um, the the Levite book he wrote. What is the name of the title? Um, Elder Joya. The study of the Levites, or something like that. I thought it was the yes, the, the book. Levites. He, huh? I thought it was the book of the Levites or something like that. A book, yeah, it's something. Let me see. Do I have it over here? Let me turn around, look real quick. I know it's probably in my library over here. But the book that he wrote was about the musicians in the music ministry and how it is important to uh, live a life that is clean, live a life that is saved because after all the musicians ushered in the spirit. 
And, um, you know, and he wrote a book about how important it is to make sure that, you know, they're living a clean life. And even um, Minister Terry Holland, when I was talking to her and how God was dealing with her about um, Asaph, um, and the, the, in the book of Psalms, the, how Asap the musician was in charge of, you know, the musicians he was, and he was, he was the one that would play and, and the prophets would come together and they would pray and they would play music and they would, the music would set the tone for the prophets to flow. And, and he was, she was talking about how God is trying to reestablish that through his minstrels, through his, you know, our, the musicians and that, you know, it had been, um, for some time now, it has been lost, you know, you know, and she was talking about this, not, a, it's not a gig. We ain't, we're not doing gigs. You know, you're going before the Lord and your hands must be clean. Your heart must be pure because you're in charge of bringing in the spirit of God. And, you know, and that was the point that she was making. And, and, um, so we have to make sure that, you know, our hands are clean and this is what, um, you know, listening to music, listening to different types of music, you know, especially as a musician, especially even as a psalmist, you have to be careful because you want to make sure that you are in the right place with God. You don't want to go into the sanctuary and lift up unclean hands before the Lord because he will not accept your worship. So that's why daily repentance is very, very important. Amen. Anybody has anything else they want to say or add to? or a question they may have. Okay, all right. So now we're gonna go on and we're gonna do verse nine through 17. Amen. Okay, here we go. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Amen. As Christians, our primary hope cannot be that we will have a comfortable life. 
It cannot be that we will have enough money and food to provide for ourselves and our families. It cannot be that we will one day own a home, two cars, and have two and a half children. Although the Lord does enjoy when his people prosper, these are all a far cry from the great hope we long for. That great hope is that one day Jesus will return and bring our world into perfect justice and peace. Our great hope is that because of Jesus' shed blood, our sins have been forgiven and we will spend eternity with him. Paul tells us that our bodies are still subject to death because of sin, but that there is something that awaits us. The Holy Spirit will grant us life because of the righteousness of Jesus. Eternal life is our great reward. Nothing else in this life compares to that one hope. The greatest question and the, and the greatest longing we have as believers is how can we live pleasing before the Lord? Paul tells us that if we have accepted Jesus, then we have the spirit living within us, that the spirit gives us the ability to cry out just like Jesus did to our daddy. Pleasing God is no longer an issue for those of us, as Paul says, who have experienced the adoption as sons and daughters to God. We are now the ones with perfect access to him. While humanity lives for itself in the flesh, it struggles with its identity before God, completely unable to please him. As Christians, we no longer have to please him because our presence is pleasing to him. Paul's transitions from the joy and pleasure of our adoption into this family to remind us that if we share in the glory, in the joy and glory of God, we must also share in his sufferings. Very interesting point, he says. As Christians, we no longer have to please him because our presence is pleasing to him. What do you think about that? How, how, does that, how does that make you feel hearing that? Say it again. As Christians, <laughs> we no longer have to please him because our presence is pleasing to him. Hmm. That's that's I don't even know. That's like a sailor. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a what? That's, that's like a sailor moment. You just pause. It is. It is. That's what I'm saying. Like it, it's a sailor moment. It's like you know, you want to sit there upon on that. Because as a Christian, he says, we no longer have to please him as Christians. I believe that what he is saying in, in terms of no longer have to please him is that we don't no longer have to, uh, what's the word I want to say, work hard at it. Yeah, um, I, was, I was striving for it, like trying, trying your hardest to be. Right. As with, as we were under the law. Mm -hmm. Remember how under the law we was like, it's, it, it just, you just, it just, it was like, no matter what you did, you didn't, you weren't, you weren't hitting the mark. 
because mm-hmm. of the fact that you know we were we were doing it in our own strength. We were trying to do it in our own strength. It's just like you know um, how you you you're like you're a child. You try to do everything to please your parent. Like remember, he used it as a, as an example mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. earlier. Like you're trying to do everything to please your parent, but it seems like nothing you do makes them happy. You know, you come home. Um, I shared. I'm gonna share. I'm gonna be transparent, and I'm just gonna share this with you. I remember one time I was younger, and um, I was growing up, and my my mom had went somewhere, and you know, and I, I'm gonna be honest, it was hard trying to please my mom. It was just it just seemed like to me everything I did did it it, it wasn't good enough. So one time she had went out, and I was um, at home, and I got up one day, and I just cleaned the entire house. I mean. I got up and back then when we cleaned the house, we cleaned the house, we did the windows, we dusted, we vacuumed, we swept, we mopped kitchen. I mean, I was cleaning the the glass windows. I did the patio window. I mean, I cleaned, cleaned, cleaned the house. Did all the way in the hallway, did the back rooms and clean just about the, the kitchen the entire house and she came home and I stood there waiting for her to say something that said I cleaned the house she stood there she looked around and she said you didn't take out the garbage <laughs> I just stood there like mortified I was mortified I was like wow not you know, what I wanted to hear was, great, that's wonderful. I see that, you know, it looks good. You know, she looked around and said, you ain't take out the garbage. And I was just like, wow, that was a crushing moment for me. And I honestly feel that at that moment is when I kind of flipped, you know what it was? It was at that moment where I flipped and became rebellious. Because I was like, there's just no pleasing you, is there? So forget it. And that's when I started, you know, being living living a rebellious life. So drinking, drugs, the whole night just started. It's just spiraled down because I was trying to win her love, and it just seemed like no matter what I did, I didn't it didn't work. So that right there was just like a you know a shot. Like it it really hurt me. And that's the same way, like you know, when you're that's how it is when you're under the law. When you're when you're when you're trying to do it in your own strength is like nothing you do is going to please. It's not, it's not going to work, but it's just as simple as um, what he's saying in this statement is as Christians, we no longer have the place to please him. We don't have to please him. We don't have to do all that. He would have been, if, 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 if it was, okay. If it was Jesus, <laughs> it's kind of weird, but this, this think of the scenario. I'm not saying my mother's the devil. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm using this scenario. If it was Jesus and I did all that, he would have said something to this fact like, oh, you didn't have to do all that. You know, I'm pleased with what whatever you did. And even if, or would have said something to the nature like, oh, good. I, I appreciate that. Thank you. But you didn't have to do all this. You know? I love you. you. You don't have to do all this to show, to show for me to show you that I, to tell you that I love you. You don't have to do all this um, for me to love you. You know what I'm saying? 
You get my point? Am I making sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like you don't have to do all this to show for me to say, I, for me to, to love you, you know? And that's what I was doing. I was trying to do this in order for my mom to, to, to love me or to, you know, you know, be happy with me. Cause it seemed like, I, you know, I was trying to please her, but it wasn't working. And, and Jesus was, is like, you don't have to do all that to please me. You don't have to do all that to win my love. I love you regardless. I love you regardless of whether you do it or not. There are some things that I, I desire for you to do. Okay. I desire for you to do these things. If you love me, you know, you're going to want to do what I, I desire and ask for you to do, mm -hmm. but I'm not putting a gun to your head and saying, you got to do these things in order to win my love. All I'm asking is that you let my spirit lead you, that you accept me and let my spirit lead you. And mm -hmm. I think what he says in this particular statement that we no longer have to please him because our presence is pleasing to him because of the fact that we are in the sheepfold because we are engrafted and we are on the Lord's side and because we are being led by the spirit and he sees that, that enough is pleasing him. See, I, I think this statement is actually a rather dangerous statement because, you know, people like to take things and run with it. So right. I, some the wrong person hears this and they take it, they would take something like this as a license to sin. Right. Right. You see, the Bible says, uh, you know, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he did say that the a new commandment have I given thee and that is love. Because within the, the, you know, when you love one another as you would love yourself, then then all the, the commandments are fulfilled, right? So I do think it's more of a, a mixture of wills, you know, like uh, like the Bible says, you know, um, if if you abide in me and my spirit abide in you, then anything that you ask in my name, I, I will give to you and stuff like that. It's a it's a mixture of your will because if you truly love God. And his spirit truly lives within you, then that's going to change you and your way of thinking, your the way of your desires. You're not going to desire after the flesh the same way that you would if you didn't abide in God. So when you truly abide in God, then I believe, you know, you you may still have your stumbling moments, but you, ninety percent of the time you will still be living right just because you love Him. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Because and and that's that's the point that that's why I elaborated on it because you're right, Pastor John. People who are not really walking in the faith will look at this and say, Well, see, it says right here, as Christians, we don't have to please him because our presence, long as we long as we go to church, long as we praise him, long as we, you know, go to church. That's enough, but it's not the worshiping the church thing is because being in his presence, being in his presence is spending time in his word, prayer, meditation, quiet time, staying in the presence of God. Because once you stay in the presence of God, the Holy Spirit is right there and the Holy Spirit will work on you. And the Holly Spirit will fill you and lead you and teach you. This says the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. So you're being led by the Spirit. So 
um, no longer having no, we no longer have to please him. We please him by just being in his presence because we're walking in the spirit and, and see, we're not fulfilling the lust of our flesh. Yes. Uh, another thing to, uh, to add to that is, you know, sin separates you from God. So in order to right. walk in his presence, you have to be separated from those sin. Right. Which further reinforces what he's saying in this in this statement. That's good. That was very good, Pastor John. Because if you're in his presence, we already know that you have renounced and that you are free from sin because you cannot, like I said, you cannot please him. You you can't please him. If you are living in your flesh, you can't please him. So by pleasing him, by being in his presence, that means you're walking in the spirit. And that's, and he's saying that's good enough because when you're walking in his spirit and you're dwelling in his presence, then we, we know that because of our presence in him, he already knows that we're, 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 we're walking sinless. You know what I'm saying? We're not, we're not fulfilling the law of sin. We're not living in our flesh. We're not doing all these things that, you know, that, that we were doing before the cross. But now that we have accepted him and we're in his presence, all those things are pleasing to him. So we don't have to, you know, do all these extra things, you know, because we want to get brownie points. We're doing them because we love him and we're doing it because we desire to please him. It's a different mindset, paying our tithes, not because it's something that we were told to do and, you know, we have to give a tenth. We're paying our tithes because it's written in the word of God and we want to please him. And if he's telling us to bring your tithes in, into the storehouse, then we're going to pay our tithes. Not that, you know, it's something out of, like, you know, like God says, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. It's not giving it grudgingly. We're giving it because we love God. And this is something that he desires for us to do. So we do it. We come together in church, um, not because it's something that we were told to do. We were, you know, church kids, we were dragged into church, you know, and, and made, you know, bench, you know, sit down the pews, pew, pew kids, Pew warmers. We're not just coming to church because our daddies went to church, our mamas went to church, our granddaddies, our great grand, you know, and so forth. Our family has a history of just going to church. So I'm going to go to church because that's the thing we do on Sundays or what we do on Saturdays or whatever day you go to, to your house of worship. I'm just going because this is something that we do. No, I go to church because I want to worship God. I want to get in the presence of God. I want to feel God. I want to feel a touch from the Lord. I want to hear what he has to say. I want to receive the word that's going to give me strength to get me through the week. You know, that's the difference. He's bringing, he's, he's taking us from a place of ritual and religion into relationship. And Ooh. that was one of the main things that the 
the Pharisees had a problem with. They were too ritualistic with with the religion. It was it, they did it because tradition. it was a it was tradition. It was a duty. Mm. It was something that they just knew to do. And nowadays, you see that now because a lot of, a lot of things that some of these churches do, some of these you know uh, churchgoers do, they just go to church on Sunday. Don't know why they go to church on Sunday. They just go to church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. You know, you ask them, you know, we had this conversation before about the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. You know, why are we having church on Sunday? We should be having it on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Well, church is for, you know, Sundays for church, you know, and then, you know, the praise breaks. They, as soon as the music drop, you know, they want to shout, you know, they want to mm-hmm. get their dance. They didn't get, they didn't shout at all during the service. They feel like they didn't get nothing from it. Mm-hmm. You know, even though the word was preached, you know, so it becomes ritualistic you know i just want to go i want to dress nice i want everybody to see my outfit i want everybody to see me i want everybody to see that i showed up i want to laugh and play around i want to go hang out and, and then i want to go get something to eat afterwards it becomes ritualistic and, and and it's just something that you do every sunday mm-hmm. devoid of any relationship or any any change of the heart yep bringing us trying to beckon us closer like this it's more than just that i need you to be spiritually minded because a spirit a carnal mind cannot said this before back in jersey a carnal mind cannot comprehend kingdom assignments or kingdom business amen so yeah i'm done (laughs) very good very good Mhm. Mhm. That's it. Yep. They are about you know, um, and this is the same. I'm sorry. It's the same thing with Pastor John was just saying it. Like you know, what we said about the the commandments. What becomes, uh, uh, what was law becomes nature. You know, when you're walking in love. Mm-hmm. You're going to automatically obey the commandments. You're going to try to do right. You're going to, because you're going to be guided by the spirit. Mm-hmm. This is why it's important to have the Holy Spirit, because he's the only one that can guide you. And like you said, lead you into all truth. So it's important to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because he's going to be the one to help you. Even if you don't know all the laws or all the scriptures, he's going to help you. Yeah, I think this is, I'm, I'm kind of going into a message that I have for Sunday. Hallelujah. <laughs> I mean, for Saturday, I'm sorry. I can say for that. Saturday. For Saturday, I kind of have a. a, a I'm going to share a snippet. Because um, when you think about the laws of man, what, what, I don't want, all right. When you think about the laws of man, when you think about the laws that we have here in our society, if we break those laws, we're fined and or arrested. But mm-hmm. what are these laws in place for? They're in place. They were put in place for for a moral for a moral compass, mm-hmm. to, so that we won't have a society that's going buck wild and doing whatever they want. The laws were established to give us structure in our society, and you think about God's laws, that's what they were for, to give us a right. guideline on how to be 
how to live as a Christian, how to live as a Christ follower, as to uh, how to live as a God lover, you mm. know? And when you look at that, look at it at that aspect, like these laws weren't put in place initially to punish us. No, they were put in place to give us a guideline, but it's just that people became too ritualistic in doing the laws, but rejecting the relationship that God wanted to have. He wanted to be closer. So he sent Jesus to fulfill the law and sit down the comforter to bring us closer so that yes, we'll still have that moral compass. We have the laws inside of us. Cause he said, the word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The, the, the law became a part of us in a way where it's not, we're not doing it as a ritual. We're doing it because yes, we love God and we love mm -hmm. him and we love our neighbors and we just want to be obedient to him. So you think about it in that aspect, the laws were put in place to, to give structure. They're there for a guideline, how to live right, how to do mm -hmm. right, how to treat mm -hmm. people, how to talk to people, how to love people, how to walk in the spirit, how to, how to see and how to hear in the spirit, wisdom, mm -hmm. you know, how to have wisdom with your finances, wisdom with your, with your homes and your families, wisdom in your marriages, wisdom in your singleness, all that, all right, I'm done, all right, I want to go too far, all right, I'm talking too much. <laughs> okay. and you know, it's, 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 and it's to say, it's safe to say that the Holy Spirit came to show us how to live outside of the law, but yet still adhere to the law. Mm -hmm. Right. So we don't have to follow it to every letter. It's just our lifestyle will reflect the law because the spirit of God is in us. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, if you look at most of the law, like the Ten Commandments is really just a moral guide. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a, the, the, the law, the, the, the word, the laws came to show us what sin is, right? Was mm -hmm. that, was what it, that was the purpose of the law, to show mm -hmm. us exactly. Because think about it, because before the Ten Commandments, where it said back in the days, there was no law. There was no such law. They didn't know that what they were doing was sin, but yet they were sinning. And it wasn't until God created the commandments in Leviticus and Exodus that they realized, okay, that what you're doing, that wrong, evil deed that you're doing, that's we're going we're gonna to call that sin. Mm -hmm. You coveting your, your mother, you young man coveting your father's wife, we're going to call that, that wrong deed. That's wrong. We're going to call that sin. The, it, before the laws came, they were considered evil deeds. But when the law came, then they labeled it as sin. That's when sin came into the picture. And so it, so the laws were kind of showing and pointing out to us what was acceptable and what was unacceptable. Because we think about it, Ain, Cain killed Abel. Right? Mm-hmm. Right. They didn't realize it was a sin. It was wrong. It was, it was an evil deed, okay? But the term sin was not there yet. 
that makes sense? Yep. Yep. They they couldn't they, they couldn't they, they Yeah, they couldn't. they just knew evil. They didn't right. have a name for it. Right. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a name for it until they came and created it. So they were just putting they were just so the laws were kind of just telling you what is what is what you're doing is considered sin. It's not something that God desires. So that's where that came in. That's how the laws were established to show us and for us to identify what exactly sin was. And now the Holy Spirit, Jesus came and fulfilled it because, you know, because the wages of sin is death. And you know that the way that they, what they did was they would um, sin, sacrifice an animal. As a matter of fact, um, um, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, is when they did that. Remember the coming of the new year where they would take a scapegoat, they would take a goat and they would lay their hands on it and they would like, I gotta get, I gotta find it in Leviticus. They would take an animal, I think it was a goat and that's where the term scapegoat came from. They would take an animal or a goat and they would pray and lay their hands, like pray all the sins on that animal and then run it out of the camp. I gotta find that. Hold on a second, y'all. Give me one second. Because that's what they did. They would sacrifice the animal and I didn't come across that one. I knew they burnt them like for sin offerings. Yeah. Had yeah, they're running out of Leviticus, Leviticus 20. Let's see with Leviticus. Let me see if I'm let me make sure I'm correct. Leviticus 23, 23. Through 25. Let me see. If that's because I know 23. No, 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 no. There was an animal. Nope, that's not it. Yeah. That's not it. That's not it. Um, um, but I know there was, I thought that was it though. That they would take an animal and they would run it out of the camp. Hmm. I gotta find that because that's not it. It's not saying that on that at, at that point. But I remember there was an offering that they did. Okay. All right. You know, uh, Vocabulary.com, not a biblical website, and it doesn't give a biblical reference, but it does say the Bible describes an animal ritual in which the goat was selected for sacrifice and another had the sins of the people 
symbolically laid upon upon it before being set free, taking those sins away into the wilderness. The, yeah, with where does it say where it's? It doesn't see this is that's why I said this is on vocabulary.com, but it's not telling you what scripture verses refer to this. Try Leviticus 16. Well, that's one through 34. That's a large. That's okay. I can I can proofread it. Hold on one second. Leviticus. You know, I'm a speed reader. That's what I was to say. <laughs> I don't have that gift. <laughs> it might be more closer to 21. Go for scapegoat into the wilderness. Okay, and there she put the bullock on the sin offering. This is it's this verse number eleven. It's it starts at nine. Well, right. Yeah, yeah. And Aaron shall cast lots upon two goats, one of them for the Lord, and the other one for the scapegoat. See, that's where the term scapegoat came from. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. I see it. So I'm wondering, was that... Yeah, and I, I gotta find. Some, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I don't want to to to, to mis, misinterpret, but I thought that was what they did at at Rosh Hashanah. That's what I thought they did. But this is when I think it's when they came over into that. This is the things that. These are like the laws and establishments that um, when they first came into the new, the, you know, when they left, I think when they ended up were about Mount Sinai, when they came out of Exodus, when they, when they exited out of Egypt, when they came out of Egypt, because he had talked about it, about who's ever touched anything that she sat upon, watched little baby self. See, these are the different laws of uncleanness but I'm trying to see. Talks about leprosy and being unclean. About making atonements. These are different atonements. And this is shows also where um, the priests about pouring oil on anointing their left ear, I think it's the right ear and toe, and all of those different things. When you come to the land of Canaan, which I give you for possession, and I put plague of leprosy in the house of the land of your possession, and he that owe the house shall come and tell the priest, you know, this is, you know, the different laws he was establishing when they came into verse number 14, chapter 14. I went all the way back there. And it's talking about different things about unclean 
about women and their time, you know, of menstruation and how they're considered unclean. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know exactly at what time that this happened, because if you look, if we if you do a deep dive study, sometimes when you see things like this, it'll coincide and it'll be something that they do every year. And I'm trying to see if it says that, like do this every year as, you know, as a remembrance or maybe just, by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness and the goat shall bear up one of all iniquities unto a land not inhibited he shall let go the goat in the wilderness yeah that's in 21 yeah see this is where it looks like to me is where he was establishing the tabernacle so I don't know whether that has any correlation with Rosh Hashanah, but I thought that that was something that they did um, back then in biblical times where they would let a goat uh, free and uh, he would pray for the atonement for everyone. And then they would set a goat free into the wilderness and that goat would like pretty much take away the sins of the congregation. And I thought that's something that they did during New Year. But it's not, that's not it. So sorry about that. See, that's where a good Bible study comes in. <laughs> Search the scriptures. But um, what were we talking about? I'm lost right now. What's the last thing I was talking about? See, I went on the tangent and forgot what I was going to say. Oh, <laughs> I did, and I lost my train of thought because I did thought that that was when they did that, but I remember they did that. But this is something different. This is talking about the book of life and the names be written down. But, you know, um, Prophets Patrice gave me a paper that, you know, during the time they would, they would read prayers and before Yom Kippur, um, when Yom Kippur sat in, came at sunset, they would read prayers before the coming of the dawn. And they were like certain prayers that they would pray. And she gave me the uh, uh, a flyer of all the different prayers that they would do on Yom Kippur. Like, you know, this their holiday starts at sunset. So on Yom Kippur at sunset, they would go into prayer and it was the holy, holy days. And um, by before dawn, they would say these 13 uh, short prayers before the, the sun dawned, the sun came up. So I want to share that on our Bible study. I mean, our prayer call, because, you know, my prayer call, we're talking about 
Rosh Hashanah. But anyway, wrapping it up, we're gonna go ahead and 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 conclude with this uh, thought about Christians. We no longer have to please them because our presence is pleasing to Him, and understanding that what it means by that simple comment is not saying like Pastor John pointed out that you know a lot of people who are not really in the the walk truly walking will say okay um i can do whatever i want to do because i don't have to worry about pleasing him i come to church and i'm in his presence so that's good enough it doesn't mean that it means being in his presence like seriously living and walking with him walking in the spirit not fulfilling the lust of our flesh renouncing those things those sinful natures that are within us fighting against that war you know not giving in to that desire that fleshly desire and because of that and because we are walking a clean life we are already in his presence and that is pleasing to him because he knows that once we are in his presence that we're going to do everything that we desire to do to please him and that we know that the holy spirit came to help us fight against those things that 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 inhabit the flesh it shows us how to live uh, a saved life. It shows us how to live. The Holy Spirit leads and guides us and shows us how to maneuver our, our daily lives in the spirit and living free in, in Christ. Amen. 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 So go ahead, Pastor John. Can you dismiss us, please? Well, first, I want to make a little plug in since, okay. you know, Elder Joya did a uh, a part of her sermon for this Saturday. If anybody wants to want listening to this on a podcast or anything, this Saturday, September 17th, 2022, Elder Joel Wilder will be speaking. You can watch our service on YouTube at Victory for Life. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So I hope yeah. some we get some people logging in and listening to the word. Amen. Go ahead with the commercial, Pastor John. <laughs> <laughs> amen dear heavenly father god we thank you for this word on today and for this message god knowing that as long as we live a life up upright before you god that you will you are faithful to forgive us of our sins god and that we shall continue to move forward in you god we pray god for everybody that listens to this god everybody that joins us online and everybody that comes to our services god we pray god in the name of jesus that you will just bless them and meet them in their place of need god we pray, pray that you just continue to use us lead us and guide us god in your word and god we thank you and we forever give your name the praise the glory and the honor in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on tonight. We pray that you are encouraged and inspired. If you desire to be a blessing to the ministry, you may do so by sending a love gift to www.paypal.me forward slash VLCC or through our cash app, which is the dollar sign VLCC Life. We also invite you to stop by our website by clicking on the link. May God bless you and may your day always be victorious.